People who go regularly to the gym notice a phenomenon every January. The place is way more packed than usual. One sees new faces and they're full with energy about this new endeavor. There's even a name for these newbies. They're called resolutionists, which means people who set up as their New Year's resolution to start exercising and start going to the gym. But come February, the place is way emptier. This is because many people have given up on their New Year's resolution already within the first month. And we've all been there with our New Year's resolution. So this is our discussion topic today. Why is it so hard to keep up with resolutions? Why one might be very determined to change aspects in their lives or to add a new aspect, a new hobby, a new, a new habit, and yet at some point they give up. I'm Nikos, and this is The New Ideal Life, the podcast of the Ayn Rand Institute, and with me today is Don Watkins. So Don, before we discuss why people fail to stick up to their New Year's resolutions, first, let's see why are New Year's resolutions so appealing, and particularly, I would say, in a culture like the United States. So I grew up in Greece, and then I lived for years in the UK, and I hadn't heard of the term New Year resolution. So is it mostly a new thing? And why has it become so popular? Well, I mean, people have been making resolutions for improvement, I mean, essentially as far back as recorded history, but New Year's resolutions have been around for quite a while. I wish I had remembered to pull it up, but Mark Twain has a good quote saying in only the way that he can, you know, it's that time of year when everybody will become so much better and greater and, uh, you know, aspire to amazing things, and then tomorrow we'll get on living the same old life. So in that sense, it's new. Or, or in that sense, it's not new. It's something that we regularly do. And you can see why. Um, part of what I think often is going on is that the new year gives you or seems to bring you a clean slate, right? It's a year I haven't messed up. And psychologists, psychologists <laughs> even have a term for it, which is the fresh start effect. And so the idea is, I haven't messed this up. I get to now fix all the things that I haven't fixed before. And um, I think there's, some, there's a really good thing about people making resolutions, but I think that kind of orientation is dangerous because the, the focus is not on what I want. The focus is on not messing up, not making a mistake. And okay, I've got this great clean slate. But what happens is it becomes dirty at some point. That is, I said I was going to go to the gym five times a week. Something came up. I only went two. And so I give up because I just have to wait till next year when the slate is clean again. And you can even, I'm sure as somebody who thinks a lot about health and fitness, Nikos, you can relate to this. I've definitely had this, which is, um, all right, I'm trying to uh, be more careful with what I eat. Oh man, I gave in and eat a slice of cake. Well, this day is ruined or this weekend is ruined. I might as well just, you know, eat whatever I want. Um, so, somebody, I wish I could remember who, likened it to you get a flat tire and so you slash all the tires on your car. <laughs> and, and the healthier orientation, I think, is to focus not on maintaining some sort of clean slate. It's not about sort of the, this, I'm never going to mess up on, you know, doing what I want to do. It's to focus on the values that I want. Like my goal is I want to be healthier, more energetic, more fit, more successful in my career. It's to focus on the goals and then think about the means to achieve your goals. Because if you're focused on your goal 
and let's say you eat a brownie or something. Okay, well, is it going to help or hurt my goal to keep eating brownies for the rest of the day? Well, it's going to hurt. And, uh, and so the, I think a goal orientation is really what we strive for. And I think that's what is right about a New Year's resolution is what it does give you the chance to do is the chance to step back, particularly because it's a time of year where work slows down. Usually you have some free time and you can get that kind of elevated perspective on your life and think, what's really important to me? What's going well? What could go better? And there, I think it, it's a really positive thing about people that they're so interested in. Yeah, I want to make my life better. And here's an opportunity to do that. And another reason why people should stick till the end with this podcast is we have a whole section on what to do when a new year resolution fails. So just one quick comment on resolutions. We had a discussion some months ago about hustle culture. And the same with new year's resolution. It gets a lot of negative uh, comments that, uh, oh, it's a, it's a toxic, uh, but it shows that there is something which is ambitious. And that's what I also like in New Year's resolutions. Yes, maybe they fail quite often, but at least for, that, for these days before the beginning of the new year, we think about what is our best self. How would I want to create, my, to, to, to shape myself in the image of what I have in my mind? So... I want to avoid any cynicism that says that, oh, don't even bother. You don't even have to try. So there's something healthy, I think, in the, the fact that they have come, quote, fashionable, in the same way that many aspects of, quote, self-development are fashionable. And of course, sometimes it goes wrong. But the point is to figure out how can we make sure that it doesn't go wrong rather than throw the idea away with, uh, with the cynicism that says, well, why bother? You can never change. But OK. so. Let's start then with uh, the main topic, which is resolutions tend to fail. So why do you think, Don, is it that they tend to fail so often? And why is it so difficult to stick with the goal that you said at the beginning of the year about changing something? Well, I mean, you said you know, something about cynicism, and I do think that that's one aspect of why they fail or why the failures are so hard to grapple with. Um, there's kind of a view... I think that, look, if human beings had free will, change would be easy, right? Well, you just choose to change. Yeah. Well, clearly change isn't easy, and so you don't have free will. And even if they don't hold it exactly that way at a philosophic perspective of you're determined, it's in effect, change is impossible. The way I think about it, though, is what what is it that makes change hard? It's the fact of uh, what Einer called autonomization. That is your knowledge, your values, many of your skills that you have to develop consciously and through effort, then become automatized. So I'm learning how to drive and I have to pay attention to every little thing that I'm doing. And it's kind of scary and overwhelming. It takes my full focused attention. But over time, I automatize it. It becomes automatic and I can be thinking about other things. And it takes very little monitoring in order to kind of drive safely down the road. But what happens is when you're trying to change, you're trying to change something that's automatized. And that is a really challenging thing to do. And yet the whole value of change, the whole reason why you want to change is that you're trying to automatize something better. So if change were really easy, that I could just decide one day, you know what, I've, I've built my life around a kind of habitual uh, way of dealing with work or dealing with other people or dealing with my health habits and so on. Um, and then I'm just going to change them with a wish. 
what that would really mean is you weren't able to actually automatize any particular way of living. And then that would mean that your life would require constant focused effort on every little aspect of your life. So the whole reason that we want to change is what makes change hard. And I mean, I could talk about some of the things that we should be doing. So this might be a preview of what we'll go into more later. But I think three things that are um, that you that are important in order to actually make change get off the ground. And then I'll say what I think the ma a major stumbling block is in, in terms of maintaining a resolution. One is like having a first-handed purpose of why you really want to change. A lot of people, it's, yeah, I should lose 20 pounds, but they're not actually personally motivated. It feels like this duty. No, you, if you're really going to undertake something as difficult as change, as maintaining a resolution, you have to have a selfish purpose for it. And then the second thing is, um, I would say that you need to keep it at the forefront of your mind. One of the most interesting things I saw when I was looking up studies of why resolutions fail is a lot of times people just forget that they made them. And that goes to the point of automatization. It's that part of why it's easy for me to eat the way I habitually eat is I don't have to think about it. Um, but uh, set aside something like eating. So for instance, when I was trying to learn to become a speaker, a public speaker, as bad as my ums and ahs might be today, they were 20 times worse. And in order to overcome that, I had to be set a conscious intention of notice when I'm about to use filler language. And then instead of using it, just pause instead. Well, that's a pretty good strategy, except you have to remember to, to do that. You have to remember to stay in the lookout for filler language. And so oftentimes it's, you're not keeping your goal at the forefront of your mind. So I think that's number two. Then number three, I would say is a very broad category that we should dive into. And I'm interested in your thoughts, but I would put it as you want to minimize friction and maximize reward. You want to minimize the obstacles to doing what you want to do, and maximize the rewards of doing what you want to do. But if I had to name it the highest level, why resolutions fail, and, it, it, and this has certainly been my personal experience, I think that people oscillate between two things, all or nothing thinking and subjectivism. So to give an example of that, um, let's stick with health because that's often one that's top of mind this time of year for people. I'm, I have this new diet and workout plan. Either I do it perfectly or it feels like I just do it whenever I want to do it. And I can't do it perfectly because something's come up. Maybe I'm, I, you know, injure myself. Maybe just one day I'm, I, I'm just too tired or I can't work up the willpower to do it. Well, now it feels like I have permission as well. Whenever I don't, whenever I feel like not doing it, uh, I'm not going to do it. And so how do we avoid all or nothing thinking without slipping into subjectivism. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And I mean, I think in the end, the solution to that is planning, but we can go more into that. But I think this oscillating between I have to be perfect or it's just, I do things whenever I feel like doing them, that that's how people kind of oscillate. And it's why they'll start out really strong. They'll go to the gym five times a week, and they'll uh, be perfect with their diet, but one slip destroys everything because now you haven't been able to maintain that the all or nothing. So since we're talking about failures in terms of keeping up with the New Year's resolution, let me share my L and my failure in sticking up with a resolution that I set for 2022. 
So one of my resolutions was to become an early riser. When I say early riser, my goal was every day I wake up and the clock should have six in front. So it would either be six o'clock or 6.59 at the late. I set all this resolution without taking into context the rest of my life. So my resolution, because it sounded like a cool idea, wake up early, was going against everything else that I knew about my life. So for example, I'm a very bad sleeper. It's difficult for me to sleep anyway. Any disruption in my sleeping partner pattern causes problems. So setting a resolution about sleep was to begin with a bad idea. Second problem, I already was taking a huge change in my life. I moved from the UK to Greece and I started a new life. And I also started a new career with an employer who is in a different time zone. So very often I would sleep very late. Therefore, something that sounded cool, waking up early, something that many productive people do. And indeed, it's, if you can do it, it's good. I know you are an early riser. But in the context of my life, it wouldn't work. So at some point it became either I will stick to my resolution or my well-being and my productivity would go down the drain. So I decided to, to give up. So what was the problem? Why did I fail? Because to begin with, I didn't choose the proper resolution or I didn't do it in the proper way. And a second example, you mentioned the issue of friction. A second resolution what I had was when I go to Greece, I'll start Zuzitsu. There was only one problem. There was no school in the vicinity of where I lived. So I started, I joined the Jojo. I had to drive 40 minutes to get there and then 40 minutes to get back. Guess how many times I went? Not many. So instead, what did I do? I find the box school where it's walking distance and it wasn't my original resolution, but it's within the same context of what value I'm after, being active and learning, let's say, uh, martial arts. So the fact that I was not religiously, or as we would say, in the objective terminology, the fact that I was not rationalistic with my resolutions, or I was rationalistic, but then I completed it, helped me to actually make sure that I wouldn't, uh, that something that was wrong would not continue. So sometimes it looks like it is the best thing to do to give up uh, your revolution, church, your resolution. Now, well, uh, what happens when you fail? Oh, yeah. Hold on one second, Nika, because I think that's those are really interesting cases. But when I hear them, I he, what I really hear is in the first example, what you didn't really have was a strong why and a strong selfish why. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, people say that I, I, I should be getting up earlier, but it wasn't that you had a burning reason to. It was just, I want to be more productive. It's something a little bit vague, a little bit, um, you mm -hmm. know, advice that came from and so when you actually tried to implement it it ran in all problems and because your why wasn't strong enough it wasn't selfish enough you didn't try to overcome those you said this is dumb it doesn't fit my life i'm not going to do it but notice that in the second case what happened is your why was super strong and so when you found that the means you had implemented going to this jujitsu place 40 minutes away when you found that that was there's too much friction it doesn't fit in my life there, you didn't throw out the goal. You didn't throw out the resolution. What you said is, I need to find better means. And that's one reason why being clear on your why, on the reason, the purpose that you're engaged in this resolution, having that at the forefront of your mind is so important. It's important motivationally, but it's also important because it's what allows you to distinguish, well, did I pick a bad means? And if so, how do I change it? And so I think that like that really illustrates exactly um, how 
resolutions can go wrong, but also how they can go right if you set them up the right way. Definitely. We promise, though, our audience that we're also going to talk what happens when you fail completely, let's say, in the resolution. I said I would go five times in the team. I'm not doing that. So what do we do then, John? How do we recalibrate and how do we save our resolution from going completely to the dustbin of history? Well, I'm curious what you, what your thoughts are on this first. What, how do you usually cope with failure? What tends to be um, what you do in the face of, yeah, my resolution or my goal isn't working out? So first I ask my question, was it the resolution that was that made sense? So in the example of waking up early, soon I said, okay, no regrets here. The resolution didn't make sense to begin with. However, what, how do you come back from the failure in a worthwhile resolution where you really know the why? I've got an idea from the book uh, Atomic Habits, which says that when you fail once, make sure that you don't fail for a second day consecutively. And make sure that when you break a streak, you begin a new one. So let me give you an example. It says that if you don't write, let's say for one day, or for, let's say your resolution is every day I want, to, I want to write a bit because I want to be a writer. You don't write for a couple of days, you're still potentially a writer. If you don't write for a week, then you're not anymore that person you promised yourself that you would do. So if you fail once, don't fail a second day. So it's what you said, quite often we have this all or nothing. Oh, I said I would wake up early, but last night that I was that birthday, today I woke up at eight o'clock. Therefore, you know, what can you do? People fail, I guess it's not for me. Whereas no, you say, look, I had a good streak. And some people say also, you have to visualize this streak. Yeah, I mean, I really like this idea. Uh, I've heard it various places, but it's in Atomic Habits, which by the way, I think um, is a really good book I recommend to people. Uh, even if you don't care about the subject, he's a really good writer at like he makes every sentence count. So highly urge the book, although I don't agree with everything in it, obviously. Um, and, and so I really like this idea of like, don't, you know, don't let a failure uh, happen two times in a row. I've also found though, that um, rather than kind of aim at streaks, I have found that in effect, so this is, um, trying to make use of the clean slate principle in a, in a better way, which is if I have a goal that renews every day. So for instance, right now, my current resolution that I've been doing for the last six weeks is really simple. And it's, I want to wake up the next morning feeling really good. And a, a lot of things will go into that, right? Like, what did I eat the day before? Did I work out? Did I get good sleep? Um, have I, you know, uh, been proactive about getting tasks done that might otherwise hang over my head. But notice that if I fail, let's say it's like one day, like I, before I go to bed, I gorge on, you know, 12 Thanksgiving pies or something, which I managed to avoid this year, which is a minor miracle in and of itself. But even if that had happened, right, the, the, there's, it's not like I've broken a streak and now I have to go, woe is me. It just goes, okay, well, tomorrow my goal is to wake up feeling really good. And so um, having that kind of like renewal, that goal that's renewing itself all the time and that doesn't, it, it's in effect not open to all or nothing thinking in the same way, 
I found really helpful. But again, I've only tried for six weeks. You always have to be skeptical about something that you haven't tested uh, for the long term. I, uh, there's a couple other things I would say about failure. First of all, failure is what improvement looks like. I have yet to meet anybody who's really successful, in really great shape, um, has relationships going really well, where it's, oh, my secret is that I never slip, I never make a mistake, I never uh, fail to implement my plan. It's, it's not. It's, the, it's precisely that I've learned to not let those, let's call it steps off the path, become permanent or enduring. It's that I get right back on. And so failure is just what improvement looks like. It's inherent to the process. Um, genuine failure is really when that becomes permanent. And another way to put it is it's when you fail to learn from that experience. So I think that when you slip it, it, at a goal or resolution, the number one thing is to not simply put it behind you, but ask like, what can I take away from this? And to become instead of, self-condemnatory to become curious. Yeah. What was it? Like what? Oh, well, I was at a Thanksgiving dinner. There wasn't, I was pretty bored because I was around a whole bunch of relatives who didn't have anything interesting to say. The most interesting thing was these amazing pies that were sitting there. And I didn't <laughs> do a good job of eating beforehand. So I was, you know, completely ravenous. And I, um, you know, noticed myself, uh, doing this out of boredom. Well, that's really good to know. If I'm too hungry and bored, I'm probably going to, you know, make a mistake on my diet. The the other thing that I find really helpful is to change your relationship with time. So, one reason that I think people fall into an all or nothing trap is because the all seems to be necessary to reach their goal in a deadline they've given themselves. So, I remember last year um I had, you know, put on the obligatory pandemic weight and it was like now um, March or something. And I was like, I should get into shape by Ocon, which is three months away. Well, if you're doing something like that in three months, you really don't have room for any sort of failure. So of course I completely failed. And after, you know, a few weeks gave up on it and was like, oh, whatever. But if instead you're thinking about your goals in a much more long range sense, like I want to write a book, not I'm going to write a book by tomorrow or six months. Um, and so my focus is sit down and do a little work on it each day. Um, it becomes a lot easier than to deal with the fact of, you know what, I had company come over and I couldn't get to my book today. I'm going to get to it tomorrow. Uh, because you don't, because there's the the only way you fail to reach your goal is by not getting back on the bandwagon, not continuing down the path. There's no kind of deadline enforcing a kind of perfection that you're not actually able to implement and achieve. So I don't think that that works for every kind of resolution or every kind of goal, but I think often it can if you remove sort of artificial deadlines. Some people do really good with deadlines. Sometimes they can be really motivating. Sometimes you need them. If your publisher says your book's due in January 1st of next year, <laughs> you should get it done on January 1st of next year. But when it's it's not something like that, um, I think removing that time pressure can actually make it easier to deal with mistakes. And you mentioned something which is quite important, what to do in your bad days. 
So a bad day when you do something, it's much better than a day when you don't do anything. And here's why. Again, I get this from Atomic Habits, but this is also something that Stephen Pressfield writes in his book, Turning Pro, which was the best self-development book I've read. These two were the best books I've read in 2022. So this is the importance of identity change, which is you don't just change your habits, you change who you want to be. So here's why a bad day is better than a day where you don't, when you don't show up at all. A bad day of writing reaffirms to yourself that I'm a writer. It reaffirms to yourself the identity that you want to adopt. It's, as the guy says who wrote the Atomic Habits, you cast a vote for the person you want to be. Or to put it in our terminology, you are prouder about yourself. Your reputation with yourself is better, which is your self-esteem is better. So doing a day's work, which is not ideal, but still it reaffirms that I, co I continue with my streak. I think it's much better than not doing uh, any work at all. Of course, with a risk of then saying, oh, I didn't even do a bad day's work, therefore uh, I'm a failure, in which, would they, in which case we fall back to what you just said on how to deal with, uh, on how to deal with, uh, with case, with, with failure. So one more thing that it might be useful to our audience. What are the different ways when one can set their resolution? So if someone wants to say, we're a couple of days away from the new year, how do I think about the things that I want to change or things that I want to add to my life? So what is a productive way of thinking about setting these resolutions? Um, yeah, I'll go into that, but I want to go back first to this idea of identity change. I don't even know that I have anything mm -hmm. useful to add, except I really want to underline it. I think it's really important. Um, I was listening to uh, a podcast by, um, I forget exactly what he is, but uh, he's some sort of scientist. I think a neuroscientist. Is it Andrew Hubert? Something like that. Uh, I'm sure. Huberman. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hubert. Yeah, he, he's very, he's become really famous. He just started showing my YouTube feed for a while. And I, I think he's an interesting guy. But he was talking about this in the context, I think, of weight loss or fitness or something like the importance of identity change. But what was interesting in the comments was how many people were agreeing and saying how that was instrumental for them in things like beating addiction. That a, a, a lot of them were saying like, they, you know, overcame like heroin or um, cocaine addiction. And the core thing that they had to do was change their whole conception of who they were, what they stood for, how they judged themselves. And then that led to a whole bunch of ancillary supporting changes. What, what kind of people do I deal with? What do I expect of myself in terms of honesty and other kinds of virtues? And so thinking about change, not as I'm plucking a goal out of the ether, and pursuing it because this goal sounds good. I want to make more money. I want to lose weight or something. But part of what you should be thinking about when setting a goal is I have a conception of my life, including a conception of the kind of person I want to be and the character I want to cultivate. And that it's from that perspective that I'm choosing individual goals that will add up to this whole. And um, I mean, this is really, really, it's, it's rooted in the whole way Ayn Rand thinks about um, moral development and human development more broadly, which is that what when we're growing up, um, 
one of the things that we're doing is we're looking around for heroes, for people to emulate and admire, and that that becomes crucial fuel for being interested in the whole subject of morality, which is kind of the fundamental virtues and values that are going to make up my character and determine what kind of person that I'm going to be. The whole reason we're interested in morality is because we have these aspirational, an aspirational sense of what kind of person we want to be and what kind of life we want to live. And I think, and, and she thinks tragically that that's actually discouraged and beaten out of kids and, uh, and, and instead of being fueled. But, um, and, and I really encourage people to read her book, The Romantic Manifesto for a lot more in that point. But yeah, it's when you're thinking about your goals and your resolutions, starting at the broadest conception of what do I want from life? And that's gonna help make sure that when you're selecting a goal, it's not an unchosen duty, some obligation that you should, like some cool idea that you heard from somebody, but that it's actually related to what you personally and selfishly want from life. And then part of the ability to achieve that goal is becoming a certain kind of person. A lot of entrepreneurs will talk about this. It's that um, in order to create the business I want, I have to change. I have to become a different kind of person. One of my friends, um, when, when he started a business, like he was not most organized, disciplined person in every part of his life, but he realized that he needed to be in order to achieve the kind of business he wanted. And so he looked for ways to like, how can I become more disciplined? One of the strategies he used that has never really worked for me, but it works for a lot of people is this idea of accountability partners, where it's, um, I have somebody who in effect, I you know say, here's you know what I'm committing to doing right now. And each day I have to give you an update if I did it or I didn't do it. And sometimes this can even involve money, right? Like. If I don't do it, I, I have to pay you $10 today. Um, but it's that idea of changing who you are, not just thinking about the goal itself. But then um, with once we're at the level of setting a particular goal, there's kind of three ways that- Can, I, can I say one more before, be, yeah, yeah. before we get to, to that? One concretization about the identity change, because as we said, it's very important. And I think I rushed on it. So what does it look like and why it's so important? Think about it. When you write every day, you tell yourself, I'm becoming a writer. The more you write, the more you persuade yourself that you're becoming a writer. But it works also the other way around. What does a writer do? They write. So once you have adopted that identity, and again, it has to be, as you said, sincere, and wholeheartedly you believe that you want to become that person. Then once you adopted it, the action becomes easier. What do writers do? They write. So you write a lot because this is what writers do, but then you reach a point that you are a writer and therefore writing comes easier. So adopting this identity works in a positive feedback in two ways. It helps you to build up that habit with action. And then once you've built that identity, action becomes easier. Yeah. And another way to put that is what you're doing is you're automatizing a new behavior and a new set of beliefs that support the behavior. Exactly. Right. Like that's the whole project of change. And so then the question is, you know, how do we get there and how do we set goals in such a way or resolutions in such a way to get there? And there's um, the, the goals that I think people are most familiar with setting are outcome goals, right? 
I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to get a raise at work. I want to start a new business. I want to find a romantic partner. It's, it's that you want some sort of outcome, some achievement of a value in reality. A lot of people have criticized outcome goals and instead um, will come will advocate process goals. And I, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've read him. Uh, Scott Adams had a book on kind of productivity and 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 uh, self help, where this was his uh, idea, which is instead of saying like I'm going to lose 20 pounds, my goal is to you know um, eat energizing foods and go to the gym five times a week. What what whatever the key. And the idea is I'm not focused on any particular outcome. I'm just doing a process. And the process is I'm picking a process that's going to lead to good, desirable outcomes. But my whole focus is on just executing the process. Then there's been people who've pushed back and said, look, goals as such are a bad idea. And one of the things that they'll say um, and if you Google, don't set goals or don't set resolutions, there'll be a hundred articles that come up or a thousand articles where do this instead. And what they usually advocate is themes. So to stick with this kind of example, a theme might be my theme for 2023 is health. And I'm not committed to any kind of particular outcome or action, but I'm just, you know, whenever the, uh, from time to time thinking like, oh, here's something I could do that would be healthier. Um, and the, the, the claim is that this is better because I'm not wedded to any particular means, any particular outcome. It gives me more flexibility and therefore I can't fail at a theme. Now, I actually think all three of these are valuable. So I think of it as the theme is in effect my purpose. It's what my selfish interest is here, right? So I want to lose 20 pounds as an outcome. Why do I want to do it? Because I'm trying to achieve health. Well, if my purpose is to achieve health, I might realize, yeah, losing 20 pounds is actually a bad outcome. Maybe what I really need to do is gain muscle. So my outcome goal is subservient mm -hmm. to my larger purpose. And then the process goals, process is really important. It is probably true that I shouldn't be focusing on which way the scale is going day in and day out or week in and week out. I should focus on, am I following my uh, eating diet plan and am I following my workout plan? But how do I even know what kind of process goal I want? Only if I have an outcome in mind that I'm trying to achieve. And how can I judge whether or not my process is good? Only if I'm clear on what kind of outcome it's trying to achieve. So I think you need all of these. And I think that the more broadly, when we're thinking about change, so most of life, you, you're running on automatized um, behaviors and, and, and commitments and things like that. And you need to, because you can't focus on everything at one time. When you're trying to change though, it really requires thought and effort. You have to keep it at the forefront of your mind. You have to do things that aren't habitual and that takes effort. And I, the, the only way I've personally found to be able to overcome that false alter or that alternative between all or nothing thinking and subjectivism is to have really kind of fine-grained plans. And part of fine-grained, what I mean by that, is it's a plan that takes context into account. So it's, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym, let's say, three times a week at, at minimum. And But there's some exceptions. 
If I'm too sick to go to work, okay, I'm not going to go to the gym. If I have company over, what am I going to do? Um, I, I'm going to do a 15-minute you know, home workout just to keep up the routine and make some progress. Um, my, my plan should include what I'll do if I fail, not fail two times in a row. Like um, it, 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 The more detailed you can make it, the, the better, because it actually then is something that you can execute. It tells you how to take into account like when an exception is rational, not just arbitrary. And, and so the, it, to put all that together, have a purpose. If you want to call that a theme, call it a theme. Like what is the big picture thing that I'm trying to improve at? Define an outcome that you want to achieve in that area. Define a process that's going to get you there and have a detailed plan to, that makes that process flexible enough that you can deal with the, all the various things that life throws out at you and that allows you to deal with the inevitable failures and setbacks along the way. And I think um, there's, there's much more to say, but it, it, in my experience and based on um, some of uh, familiarity with some of the literature on change, I think those are kind of some pieces of the puzzle that can be really helpful and that um, you tend to see in the people who make enduring changes over time. One thing I wanted to do at this point, I want to bring aboard somebody else from ARI. All right. So welcome, Amber Brown. Amber uh, works at ARI. Amber, remind me of your title. <laughs> Good morning, Don. I am the development marketing manager. Awesome. I was hoping now that we're at the end of the year and uh, it's a good time both for tax purposes and as you're reflecting on your highest values to be thinking about, um, to be appreciative of organizations like the Ayn Rand Institute. And so maybe you could tell uh, our audience about ways that they might be able to help us achieve our mission if it's something that's personally valuable and meaningful to them. Absolutely. Um, that's exactly right. It is the end of 2022 and it's time to get your tax deductible donations into the Institute. We are a 501c3 nonprofit educational organization that exists solely on donor support. Um, so all of this great content, Don, like everything that you're doing with the podcast, with content production, with um, the mentoring and coaching through the Ayn Rand University depends on donor support. So um, if you are listening, if you are watching, you can open another tab and go to aynrand.org slash donate. That's A-Y-N-R-A-N-D dot O-R-G slash donate to make a donation. You can be a, you can give a one-time donation um, in any amount that you choose, or you can become a member and donate every month uh, automatically on subscription and support your values automatically. Um, and with that, you also get access to our donor roundtables, which are a monthly um, meetup of like-minded people to support each other and socialize and also hear about things going on um, in the business world, in psychology, in elementary education, in um, various things that objectivists and people who follow Ayn Rand's ideas 
are kind of doing out in the culture. So there are benefits to being a member if you choose the monthly subscription option, um, but we obviously very much support um, just giving that one-time end-of-the-year donation as well. Yeah, and let me say one other word about it, which is, you know, I do a lot of um, teaching about persuasion. And one of the things that I always tell people is, um, look, if you want to get better at it, that's great. But as a general rule, the most persuasive things, if you're actually trying to fight for a better culture, is that there's a division of labor among persuasion. And so what I have to talk about is the highest leverage thing for most people is not to become marginally better at arguing for your ideas, though you can do that for your own personal reasons. But if you're actually thinking about having an impact, rather it's helping the best persuaders get their message out there. And that means, for instance, sharing Ayn Rand's books with people, recommending, you know, your Ron book, your Ron Brooks show, recommending New Ideal Live to people that you think it would be a good fit for. But the simplest, highest leverage way to do all of that is, I think, to give money to ARI, because what you're in effect doing is giving people who have made their whole career understanding, advocating Ayn Rand's ideas, the ability to do it on a greater and greater scale. And so, you know, maybe you could hand out five books to people in your neighborhood, but if you give money to ARI, we probably can do it a lot more cheaply to a much wider scale of people. And so if you're thinking about bang for your buck in terms of impact and persuasion, you know, even $10, $20, $30, all the way to hundreds and thousands. And, you know, some of our donors have been gracious enough to give way more than that. Um, the, amount of impact you can have is really hard to overstate. And so I know that we're very thankful for it. Um, it, it. It's often something that people at nonprofits just, you know, say because you're supposed to say it. But I know for a fact, and I know uh, for me and for many of my colleagues, it really is at the forefront of our minds that everything we do is made possible by the people who contribute to ARI and that we wouldn't be able to do it. And both, we wouldn't be able to have the impact on the culture, but at the end of the day, we wouldn't be able to do, have the job of our dreams if it weren't for you. And so um, thank you to everybody who has donated, who will donate. And I really encourage you to take the time to up your donation, because I think you can really make an impact on the world by doing that. That's exactly Amber, right. anything thank that you. you want to add? No, that was perfectly said. I appreciate it. And we do. We appreciate all of your generosity so much. And the web address is einrand.org slash donate. Awesome. Thank you, Amber. Nikos, welcome back. Sorry that you had a, a little difficulties. Um, anything else that we should address or that came up in the super chat? Uh, no, that was the, that was the, oh, again, many thanks to May. Thanks to Steve. So how about we start wrapping up by telling people what will happen next week and what they can look forward to? Yeah, so uh, next week's show, you will have even more time with uh, Nikos and with uh, ARI Junior Fellow Zimwit Gowan on the topic of, I forget the final title, <laughs> Nikos, help me with that. Oh, it's there, From Russia with Evil, The Philosophy of Alexander. Philosophy. Okay, I want to make sure that that was it. Um, please also make sure that you send us questions for our future question and answer episodes. Uh, our next one is a Q&A on religion and God on January 13th. Um, and I forget the 
email address for that. I think it's newideal at einrand.org. And um, coming up after this show, there will be a clubhouse that at least I'll be at. I'm not sure if Nikos will. So sign on to your app once we log off. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, the best thing you can do is make sure you subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on whatever podcast channels you listen to, and you'll get notifications uh, of when we're coming out with new material. And of course, be sure to like, share, all that good stuff. And um, on you know, do the same on all the platforms. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps us beat the algorithm. And that is always useful. It, speaking of high leverage ways to uh, be helpful promoting your ideas and values. So um, if you have suggestions for future episodes or questions that we could address, be sure to send those to newideal at einrin.org. And we will um, we read all of those emails. Uh, unfortunately, we can't reply to all of them, but we try to reply to as many as we can. With that, we'll be back with uh, more material soon. And in the meantime, jump over to Clubhouse and let us hear your questions or thoughts on resolutions and on goal setting. Until then, I'm Don Watkins, and this has been uh, Don and Nikos talking about resolutions on New Ideal Live. Talk soon. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.